0: brands, when they make something new, oftentimes they forget to tell the world why you need it. What they tend to do is default to making things that people already want. A lot of watches and steel on steel bracelets are selling. Then they actually have to justify why they're doing it in the first place, because they know that just making the project alone isn't going to sell. Rather than begin with, hey, we had this idea for a watch that we're going to make it, they make a watch that they think is going to sell and then try to come up with some rationale. They're trying to satisfy perceived market demand, but by doing it in a way which fits the brand's character, a better thing is, as a brand, we really wanted to make this, we took a couple of years to make it, no one else was make it, they said we were crazy, but now that we made it, it's doing really, really well. Like, that's a much better story than everyone else is doing it, and we decided to do it as well.
1: Seriously, Ariel, you've left me 15 seconds to tell everyone that on this week's The Blog to Watch Weekly, we have Sylvan Berneron, creative director of Breitling as a guest host, lots of blue dialed steel sports watches
0: courtesy of David, something new from Norkane, and something on the wrist from Omega. Enjoy the show.
2: Greetings and welcome to this week's A Vlog to Watch Weekly. Ariel and David are back and we have a very special guest host whose name I have already butchered several times in both meeting him and in the preamble to the show. So I'm going to get Ariel to do the introduction just so that his name's at least said once with a proper French accent uh, once on the show.
0: Our guest is the creative director of Breitling, Mr. Sylvain Berneron.
2: Sylvain, how are you? Hi, hi. Great way to start
1: the, the day. Uh, talk with the abtw crew fantastic thank you for having me
2: our pleasure more than welcome it was a pleasure to meet you over at geneva watch days and having spent the afternoon with you i was like yeah we've got to get this guy on the show so yeah how are things in the world of breitling i was actually at a breitling event last night with the i was gonna say the thompson twins but that's a band
0: what kind of twins are we talking about are these people These are people, so these are... It could have been like some weird limited edition watch, like two different kinds called the Twins. That that would sell. (laughs)
2: this (laughs) This was the Turner Twins, who are sponsored by Breitling. And they're basically sailing and exploring to the remotest points from each landmass on the planet. I think there's nine of them. So like the most recent one was they sailed to the middle of the Atlantic. So the point that's furthest away mathematically from all the land in the Atlantic Ocean is did a survey on ocean plastic wearing a nice Brightlings, and then sail back. It, it, it was really quite interesting. So shout out to all the team in Glasgow and to the Turner twins on that. Sylvain, have you ever come across these guys in your travels in Brightling?
1: No, 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 I, I haven't yet. You know, COVID slow, slowed us down quite a bit in terms of traveling and, and being permanently in the HQ in, in Switzerland, it's harder for us to meet all the ambassadors of the different markets. The last big show I've done outside of the watch fair was Wheels and Waves in south of France where I had the chance to meet most of the surfers and cyclists that, that we endorse. So that was a great great fun.
2: Cool. And what have you gents been up to this week, Ariel, David?
0: Well, I got back from the trip to Zermatt, Switzerland with Norcane oh, where yes. the Wild One Watch with Jean-Claude Biver was debuted. And because of the climate, not going to Miami, there's a storm. So I was supposed to go there for the Centurion uh, jewelry shore to speak. I will probably still speak remotely but fun in the sun on the waves is going to wait just a little bit longer again
2: <laughs> And David, I recall you saying you were maybe going to be going to a wee Omega thing and I did see Omega dropping a wee hint on their Instagram account that something big might be coming, did you get any insight to what that is?
3: Oh, of course not, hey everyone, uh, that, that's not how <laughs> Omega operates, they, they are just uh, a road tripping with, uh, with the novelties from several months ago and you go there, you dedicate a time, you take pictures, you ask questions, and then 10 days later, here's a huge new novelty everyone cares about that we didn't tell you anything about and you won't see for a long time. Great. So yeah, that was that was, that was disappointing and infuriating at the same time. But uh, yeah, we are looking forward to the gazillionth uh, Speedmaster anyway.
2: Well, it seems to be being trailed. I think the tagline they're using is something like another leap. So folk are suggesting this is something to do with Mars. I suspect it's more just to do with going back to the moon. Almost certainly, Elon Musk is involved somewhere in the process.
0: <laughs> are we calling it the Mars Watch now?
2: Yeah, the Mars Watch.
0: It's probably some professional watch, probably a quartz one. Don't you think that with the way that brands are now announcing, because they're, they they don't they used to rely on us to announce things, and we would temper, you know their enthusiasm and reality like if it was just a new dial color we'd never be like something awesome is coming but now that brands are trying to completely control the message by announcing things directly on their own social media channels is there not sort of the the cry wolf syndrome because if everything is amazing and everything is groundbreaking then really nothing is and i think that's the point we're getting to that everything is such a big deal they're like wait it's a new dial color tutor that was what all the huff and you know fluff was about for two or three weeks so i think we're kind of getting to a state right now where brands are getting a little bit too excited all the time and consumers are getting bored
2: now so then i don't wish your first contribution to this show to be saying something untoward about your colleagues but as creative director on the watch process how often does it happen that that then gets handed to the marketing team and then you kind of slap your head about all the work you've done interpreting your dreams and ambitions for the watch, and then it's just taken in a completely different direction?
1: Well, marketing is an interesting discipline because it can very often backfire. So I always compare it to trash talk in MMA, for example. If you, <laughs> if you have strong claims uh, in your press release, you better back it up with, with good substance and I have the chance to have very open-minded marketing colleagues. So most very often they come to us, to the technical development team and the design team to check what they, they wrote about in their press release. And very often we are the ones who have to turn it down and say, look, like Ariel mentioned, like, like not everything is amazing. It's nice to have an extension line or to have a new variation, but we can't come with the big marketing blow every second week because otherwise nobody, you, you lose trust, yeah? ones. Your, your customers.
2: Yeah, so is it you that I then get to ask as to what traction resistant means on the Breitling Endurance?
1: Usually we get the press release before to to fact check it on the technical and design side and then we are the ones who, who put the emphasis down a little bit most <laughs> of the time. Yeah, I think it's important for the tone of voice of the brand. It's, it's nice to have good, fancy articles but they also have to be very true in the sense like Breitling customers are not uh, newbies.
0: Yeah, I'm so happy you said that, Sylvan, because... So often I will read press releases from even trustworthy brands and they say things that just, you know, I have to like, be respectful and be like, uh, you know guys do you really want to say this? Because the only response from the community is going to be bad and you don't have to say it that way. But the marketing team left to their own devices basically only has their own considerations in mind. Like no one ever punishes them if they say something that's too exaggerated like somebody else feels the pain for their misdeeds and I think that's really the real problem is they're incentivized to like push and sell as hard as possible but if something bad happens, other people get blamed and that's kind of a weird thing.
1: Yes, yes, it's true but i At the end, I think on the long run, if it's applied too often, this method, it damages the reputation of the brand. We've seen like five, 10 years ago, a brand like, I don't know if you recall, Filippo Loretti was an Italian brand, mostly entirely made in China. And this was...
0: Uh, It's a Lithuanian brand.
1: Ah Yes, Sorry. Sorry, no, yeah. You, you see, even even that marketing caught my mind, thinking they were Italian. Yeah, but but at the end of the day, it was such a huge marketing bubble, completely emptied of, of substance. That that uh, I think this is why it didn't last long. So you always have to balance how much you want to catch people's intention the next week versus how long you want them to listen to you uh, in the distance.
0: It's actually funny you mentioned that because I I know a little bit of the background of Filippo already, and you're you're right. They were very. Various- successful at the beginning with very strong marketing and they would literally say things like here's a luxury watch at $200 and I guess you know there's that's really open for interpretation but we all know that you can't get the same watch for $200 as you would get for $10,000 like you can get a nice watch and sometimes you can really overspend at $10,000 but it's not the same so they did a lot of this and then they actually had a brand they had like a team and they had employees and then and they had all these consumer expectations and so like phase two of the company was like, we've made all these promises to people. Now we have to actually build a brand that delivers it all. And that was the hard part. So it wasn't hard for them to promise. They could get away with that really easily. But actually, when they had to deliver... And they try and they try to and they still try to. And I, and I admire them for that. But they actually realize, like, wait a minute, we just created a giant expectation for, uh, for ourselves and we have no ability to fulfill it with what we have right now. And and I think that was a very interesting position. I wish more brands recognized that that's the state you would get to if you just spend too much time hyping yourself. Exactly.
2: Talking of hype, uh, David has uh, penned an article uh, this past Monday uh, entitled, Do We Really Need This Many Steel bracelets, sports watches, and if there's any market that has suffered from hype and copycatting and general riding along on the shirt tails of others, it is the development of an enormous number of of steel bracelet sports watches so david i'm going to let you introduce this article and then Sylvain, ariel and myself are going to tell you why you're wrong so david give us the too long didn't read for (laughs) what has proved to be the most popularly commented article on a blog to watch in quite some time
3: Great, yeah. You know, I was I was going into this, um, you know, in kamikaze mode in the sense that you know I will just say <laughs> the way that I think it is and then see what happens. You know, I, I was. Quite outspoken in this, saying things like, uh, you know, a, a steel bracelet luxury watch today is is not, you know, the message of it is not the same that it used to be when the Royalo came out in 1972, and the way it was in the in the early 1970s, when, you know, the message of a of a of a steel bracelet luxury watch was that, you know, I have enormous amounts of money and I can afford to overspend and get something in steel while all the other people who are focused on value and value retention. And, and getting their money's worth over buying uh, stuff in gold, obviously. And I can even afford to, to pay this much and then beat it up today a steel bracelet watch has the message of this is the only nice watch i own in the sense that i expect it to do everything i want it to wear it to the office i want to wear it to the neighbor's pool party i want to wear it with a with a rented tux and just wear it for a gala dinner and everything and it doesn't work like that it looks weird in a bunch of different settings you know i I say this in greater detail but all i'm saying is that it's not the be all end all of uh, solutions as we think it is probably and yet we have so many freaking options to the you know that that it basically has killed all other things and all other styles. And I bring the Parmigiani to the PF... As, as a good example to that, which is a beautiful slim watch that looks great, very elegant. The uh, the, the press release is all about being sartorial and, uh, and elegant and all that. And yet it's basically a dress watch and a steel bracelet. And for that reason, it looks kind of stupid to me, which is a shame. And yeah, so this is the TLDR on that. And uh, yeah, I just want to hear what you guys thought about the article.
2: I'm particularly interested, Sylvain, in what you think, because if there's one brand I associate not first out the gate with steel bracelet sports watches it's actually Breitling because the first watch when I think of a Breitling is a leather strap Navi timer so Breitling I think is one of the few brands that I don't automatically think steel sports watch as someone who works for a brand that does more than just steel sports watches what's your take on David's chat
1: yes first of all David congrats I think the article that the writing was extremely sharp as you posted in your article, thank you. we at Breitling noticed the meteorite growth of uh, steel bracelets uh, in terms of sales as well. No one can deny that. Uh, we have the chance to have a very diversified portfolio. So of course, this is not only what we sell, uh, but we saw a huge growth of steel bracelets. And, and uh, in David's article, he also brought one point, which was how steel is a great compromise, but at the same time has a lot of different weak points, let's say. And internally, I brought the the term uh, SUV, like the same in the car world where you have SUVs. These vehicles are actually pretend to be off-roaders, but I actually only have the look, we could have the same thing in, in watches with sport utility watches, which this category is most likely what it is. As David said, you have one watch, supposed to do it all, but as a result, it doesn't highly perform in, in any direction. And this is very much the main topic, I would say, the main segment in terms of consumption these days, both in terms of uh, cars and watches. For example, I think there is a good reason for it. Probably the, the, the economic uh, context and then the social evolution of, of the society uh, brings us to have this all-arounder type uh, of objects, which are interesting from a, from a designer's perspective. Ayel, what's your take on it? Do you, do you have the same feeling, like, same feeling like David, where when you have only one <laughs> steel sports watch, do you feel it, it is at the same time cheap or is it a good, good catch?
0: I mean, there's definitely a lot to what David said, which I agree with. I've always recognized that there's more watches than anyone wants or needs. And and I understand a little bit about where these come from. You know, brands, they when they make something new, oftentimes they forget to tell the world why you need it, right? Hey, we have something new. And they were like, and you need it because blank. So... What they tend to do is default to making things that people already want. And so it's very easy for them to look at the market and say, a lot of watches in steel and steel on steel bracelets are selling. Maybe that's what we, we should be doing. But then they actually have to justify why they're doing it in the first place, because they know that just making the project alone isn't going to sell. That's very, very rare. So rather than begin with, hey, we had this idea for a watch, we're going to make it, They make a watch that they think is going to sell and then try to come up with some rationale other than, well, these are what we're selling on the market. And that's, I think, where we get into a lot of this awkwardness because they're trying to satisfy perceived market demand, but by doing it in a way which fits the brand's character. And it's very difficult to do both of those things at the same time. A better thing is, you know, as a brand, we really wanted to make this. We took a couple of years to make it. No one else was make it. They said we were crazy, but now that we made it, it's doing really, really well. Like that's a much better story than everyone else is doing it and we decided to do it as well. So what you're seeing is a manifestation of the conservatism that goes into the product development cycle with the known marketing challenge of having to create independent reason for existence for every product. And the fact that those things don't line up a lot creates a lot of the dissonance that David is pointing out, in my opinion.
1: truly fully agree. In the article, also, uh, in between the lines, I could read uh, David's wish to to see steel sort of diminish and, and transition into ceramic or titanium, which I think is a very interesting topic, and I'd like to elaborate on that. Awesome. So first of all, I, sh- I should say I'm still a big fan of steel. Although this is a widely used material in the industry, I should remember everyone that this is a perfect middle ground in terms of both structural integrity and visual appeal in terms of finishing. There is a reason why most of us uh, and big watch manufacturers use steel. It, it's because uh, it's strong enough to absorb the shocks to be long lasting in, in in time. And at the same time, this material allows us to to achieve uh, very high, the highest standards in terms of finishing, which is exactly what we want in a modern sports watch, uh, a technical object that has also a jewelry feeling to it. So this was my 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 thing on, on steel. And yeah. I should, And I should also add, with time technology improves uh, and we now see the the birth of this new, uh, they are called laser additive machines, which I think will be a game changer in the world of after sales. Uh, We all know that when you have a big impact especially on the lugs, because a bezel you can always replace, Uh, same for a case back. But the case is very often the problem. And if after 10 years, you end up with a big, big ding on your lug, this is very often a problem. Now we have these new machines. It's similar to welding, but using a laser technology, you can add material and that works on titanium, gold, steel, all the precious ones. And this is really a game changer because before welding was not an option because you would actually um, modify the the structural integrity of the whole case because of heat. And now laser is cold enough to to add the material in a small area. So we're now going to see the the next level in terms of what we call habillage. So so it's refinishing of a case. You send the case, uh, your watch might be 15 years old and it comes back brand new at the full spec sheet that it was produced at, even in terms of volume.
0: Sylvan, that's very interesting about the laser additive technology. And I agree with you. That is probably going to be a game changer. But I want to add a little bit more context. I think this goes to sort of the cyclical nature of the watch industry and potentially other industries. You know, when David and I were first getting into this and we would meet with brands, nobody was excited about steel. OK, there was no like, and now it comes in steel. Like steel was the <laughs> standard. Steel was vanilla. And I agree with you. Steel is a fantastic material. It's fantastic in a lot of ways. A lot of measures, it's the perfect watch case material. But it's ordinary, and it's not that special, and it's a color that is very common, and there's other things that have the same sort of silver tone finish. And so I think what David is seeing, and I'd like to hear his thoughts on it, is this sort of strangeness in the cyclical nature where something that nobody cared about is now hyped. And and I've seen this happen several times, but it is very disconcerting when this thing where it's like, oh, it's the cheap one and steel. And they're like, now this very expensive model and steel. It's like, wait a minute, what just happened here? And so there is an actual value to these things. It's not like steel is becoming more precious, but people are talking about it as though it's more precious when internally you know it's not. And it's difficult for us to develop a refreshed relationship with steel when our relationship with steel is one of respect, but not one of particular excitement. And so it's like the brands are trying to get us excited about something that years ago they trained us not to be excited about.
3: Yeah, 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 true. what i would add to that i think that is that is important is that steel in my opinion is not that great a material to begin with because it's heavy it's cold it's cumbersome and it loses its finish in basically no time so Imagine you're, you you go out there and you buy yourself a still luxury watch for however many, you know, of your hard-earned uh, dollars. And you want to keep it. You want to wear it for like 30 years or whatever. And the watch looks new maybe for the first three months, maybe four months. And even if you're extremely careful with it. And then for the next 29 years and eight months, it looks like crap. It, it's beaten up. <laughs> I think it would be amazing if you, if you if you went out there and you bought a car and in four months it would be all scratched up and dinged up and look like crap. And you know it's it's only original once, so sure you can refinish it and whatever. And what you said, Sylvan, about the uh, uh, laser technology is super interesting. And of course that that if that becomes a thing and a common thing and an affordable one at that, then that's amazing. But until that happens i feel like it's a heavily compromised material and we have better options because we have ceramic we have titanium we have different surface coatings and all that and sure the economy of scale is not working towards those materials because if you guys visit the article you will see this collage image that has maybe 30 or 40 steel bracelet watches with a blue dial from different brands I don't think I've included two watches from the same brand, maybe maybe once or twice, but I, I don't think I've done that. So you're looking at 30 or what, however many different watches, and I, I wasn't even trying that hard to find those watches. And all of them look exactly the same, and they have all of these ha- highly compromised material to go with it, right? So I just don't think that's a good ratio for 29 years against a few months. And I feel like we should be uh, moving away from that because it's 2022 it, now. It,
0: it depends what you're looking for. I mean, David is correct that cosmetically speaking, steel doesn't hold up as well. From a from an industrial perspective, utilitarian perspective, if you want sort of bendability, shock absorption, you know, corrosion resistance, steel's got a lot going for it. But you're right; these days, people demand and need different things. And, you know, scratch resistance, especially ceramic is a winning material in that regard. So I I definitely think that it's correct to say that there's plenty of other materials out there. The new crop of materials, all the carbon composites and things like that, people don't even have the experience with them yet. And one of the things that they don't tell you about the carbon composite is that it does scratch. It's quite soft and it's, you know, it's not terrible, but I'm curious to see how all these luxury carbon (laughs) case watches end up looking in a few years. I, I have yet to see too many of them in the wild after after being worn, but I'd like to see how a you know a, a five year old carbon watch stacks up against a five year old you know polished steel case.
3: What was the Norkane watch in carbon or or how, what was that about?
0: Yes, yeah, so it's rubber, like actual rubber, and then we'll get to that. But there we is will. a carbon composite.
2: <laughs> so is the, is this whole issue just entirely groupthink? We've just talked ourselves into thinking that. Steel is the way to go, and then the brands have thought, "Oh, the public wants steel," and then the public have gone, "Oh, the brands are producing steel watches," and we've just gone backwards and forwards, slowly building the hype and building the craze. Where in fact we all need to just take a check in ourselves and realise that yeah, you should have a leather strap for this circumstance, and you should have a ceramic for this other circumstance, and titanium and and rubber. Both watches are wear the most: Apple Watch and a Panerai Luminor both have effectively rubber straps on them and i find that entirely the most practical <laughs> thing to wear so is it just groupthink do we just need to break free
0: it's part of the hype machine I mean look look at the brands the brands because they're trying to control the messaging now they want everything to sound like it's exciting that's all they know how to do when it comes to marketing is we don't have a reason why it exists we don't have a competitive advantage so the only thing we can do is sound very excited about it and like I said <laughs> if you look at the marketplace and you see what sells from a strictly mathematical standpoint steel watches because they represent a lot of the in-demand ones like the Rolexes and things like that do have a high percentage of market sales and do end up making a lot of the money, but it's not because they're steel necessarily. Maybe it was because of their original purchase price, which wasn't too high, and a lot of other factors. But I think it it would be wrong to say that the market is just overwhelmingly in love with steel. I think that steel is just where a lot of the value is.
2: We're going to move on shortly, but I have one question for Sylvain about the creative process. At what stage, when you're thinking of something entirely new for Breitling, do you start thinking about what you're using to secure it to the wrist? Kind of what comes first, or does it come holistically?
1: You mean material choice in the creative
2: process? Both material choice and strap, specifically strap material choice, because more often than not, the you're going to be making the watch head almost certainly out of steel at least in one or two of the variations okay you may do a, a gold and you may do a ceramic or a a carbon but there's almost certainly going to be a steel watch face at what point do you think yeah this needs to go with a steel strap rather than leather or, or any other material
1: well f- first i have the chance to have to to get to play with different materials because brightly we are super strong in titanium we have uh, emergencies aerospace uh, all these watches use These are grade two or grade five titanium. Uh, We also have the bright light, super hard. To answer your your question, Ariel, about TPT or carbon cases, it really depends. The the customer has to dig deep and and find out what is the material made about. For example, the bright lights that we use at Brightling is not the the most fancy looking material in terms of aesthetic, but this is not what it has been conceived for. It has been custom built for Brightling. To one purpose, which is a thousand VK of scratch resistance. So it's extremely, it's almost bulletproof this thing. And this is why back in the day, the Schneider family went to, to a dedicated company to, to build this material. But coming back to your question, Rick, usually very early on, we know on which material we're going to choose to build a watch, especially because with, with each material comes a dedicated set. Of rules that we have to respect during the technical construction. For example, I'm still a big lover of steel. I think people have to see it as the middle line. It's a very Swiss material in the sense that it's the perfect compromise (laughs) between (laughs) structural integrity and finishing. If the scratches on your steel watch bug you very much, you of course have the option of ceramic, but people should not forget two things. First, Ceramic is inferior to steel in terms of structural integrity. Once you break it, it's gone. You can't fix it. You can't weld it. You have to replace the parts. And second, in terms of I would say it's styling. The odds of you keeping your watch, your ceramic watch for 20 years are actually very low. Why? Because ceramic only comes in colors, whether it is white, black, blue, whatever. So when you are 25 and you buy your fancy white ceramic watch or blue, it might be fine until you get certified. But once you turn 50, are you still much into it? I'm not so sure. And on the other side, if you you say, ah, uh, I don't care that much about the scratches, but I'd like my watch to be technically even more efficient. You can, of course, turn to titanium, but titanium is technically superior. There is no deny, but it comes there at a visual cost in the sense that because it's a very ductile material, it behaves like, like clay, so to speak. It's very hard to machine and extremely hard to polish. So if you Google polish titanium, you will find a lot of Forgive me, for example, the Joe Schmoes who tell you, Ah, yeah, sure, I can polish titanium, not to watchmaking standards. So Grade Two, because it's entirely it's hundred percent titanium. It's my favorite, by the way. I'm a big fan of Grade Two. We still make some at Brightlings. They have this warmer color. Uh, It turns a bit more brownish. It's my favorite, but you can only sandblast it or brush it. You cannot polish it because it would leave an orange skin texture. Uh, On the other side, Grade 5 is even stronger. And you can polish it because you had aluminum and, and vanadium into it. So this is possible to polish. And I should also mention that the watch industry uses... Only two grades, two and five, to my knowledge. But we have many, many more. You can find one, seven, eleven, and I'm a. Uh personally deeply attracted to titanium because i have the privilege to wear grade 23 in my left foot since a
2: (laughs) racing accident (laughs) (laughs) yeah i've got some of that grade in my left wrist as well (laughs) yeah it's grade 23
1: medical titanium fantastic (laughs) and that's the only material you can actually place in the body so that is how chemically strong uh, uh,
2: it is. Cool. So, just before we move on, that was final question. But I challenge everyone to go to David's article and look at the collage. David, did you put the collage together yourself?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I've I've I've, I've made some comments because there's a really healthy discussion there that I really enjoy taking part in. Yeah.
2: So you have to go to the comment section and without cheating, give yourself maybe three minutes or less and identify each there are no prizes it's just you know the admiration of your colleagues and fellow watch geeks but yeah a challenge to go and identify all there was one i was struggling with but i now realize that it is uh (laughs) bulgary cool i think i can get the rest of them but it is fascinating to see so many blue steel sports watches together and go yeah They pretty much look the same,
3: with maybe one or two minor exceptions. Fascinating is a kind word to it, but yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Go check out the comment section. It is very well worth a read. Some great uh, comedy in there, uh, as well as commentary.
0: Norcane released a new watch from the Independence Collection called The Wild One. And it did this in collaboration with Jean-Claude Biver, and they worked together for about two years on this. And... There's a lot of little details here. How they connected with Jean-Claude Biver, why Jean-Claude Biver is working with them, how that distinguishes his time from his own brand, which will be launching in uh, March of 2023. He's on the board of directors of Norkane, and he's decided that this is a, a young brand, it's from 2018, that he wants to mentor. So that's really what it is. And, you know, he has a particular taste, he has particular things he likes. And so the Wild One collection has some of his DNA. The watch is designed to be highly shock absorbent. That's the sort of point of the watch. They wanted to make a sports watch that you could throw around, you could drop, could be subject to all kinds of harsh vibrations. It's not the only shock absorbent watch in the world. And of course, the king of the shock absorbent watch market is G-Shock, but those are, you know, quartz watches. This is a mechanical watch. It has the Kinesi movement inside of it. And one of the things I think that they did so well about it is they made the shock resistant part something you can see. Usually it's like hidden inside the case and you're told that there's a shock resistant ring. And maybe if it was some of those cool Casio G-Shocks, you can open it up and see the, the red alpha gel, as they call it. In this instance, the actual middle case is made of rubber. So the inner inner case is made of titanium and that's what holds the movement. And then Outside of that is a single piece of rubber, which is injection molded and then hand finished, because right out of the injection molding, it needs to have little sections cut off and burned and polished. And it's the only, to my knowledge, hand finished rubber case component, or any component for that matter. And that's the middle case. And then it's sort of sandwiched together by these two sections of what's called Nortec, which is another one of these proprietary carbon composite blends. And I think people are starting to get the point right now that When you take carbon and you put other materials in there, there's so much variety of what those materials are, the mixture, that all these companies are starting to have their own special blends. Essentially similar materials, but there are a whole host of differences in terms of the color, the durability, the flexibility. So, you know, they have to come up with their own materials to spec, and this is something that can be done these days. So Nortec is a little bit flexible, which is kind of interesting because you know, the rubber, of course, is flexible. So you can see with your hands it bending and you can you can test the shock resistance. And I think that that's really one of the most interesting things because we know that when you can visually understand the technology working, it has a little bit more of a, an immediate effect and a little bit more of an emotional appeal uh, with the audience. The Nortec material can come in a few colors. They have two in black, or actually three in black right now, and one that has... Uh, like a burgundy red color, which is quite nice. It could be done in like a blue and then a green, I believe. Carbon is still a black material and it also has some castor bean oil in there. That's where the sustainability comes in. Um, Swatch's bioceramic is another similar type of carbon composite material. So, you know, it's actually that one's less carbon. That's more like a plastic ceramic blend. But again, it's these composites are, you know, really the future. It's a modular concept, the wild one, which means that, you know, the parts can be changed for different colors and things like that. That's very much in line with Jean Claude Bivera likes. And I feel that in some ways it's a thematic Continuation of what he was doing with the Big Bang. The Big Bang was all about having a modular concept, all about being colorful and sporty. But the what the Big Bang never did was solve a lot of utilitarian problems. Right, the watches were cool, and they innovated with with materials for sure, and they did a great job at that. But with something like the Wild One, you have this shock resistance story. You have a, a case which is actually designed for a specific purpose, and I think that that is. More in line with what, what what people are looking for. Prices depend a little bit on the model. It's about five thousand bucks, and Norkane claims that it's uh, the watch they have with the least margin that they should charge more for it, but that they're they're trying to you know, get it popular in the market and things like that. So, yes, you can look at it and say, I'm not sure this is a luxury watch in terms of the materials, but the reality is having to develop these materials, and again, just the way the rubber's made, I'm pretty sure it costs more than, a than you know, a similar section of the case made in steel.
2: I'm really not sure what to make of this watch. I, I, I do wonder, I don't know if you recall, when Morris the Quiet released the Tide, and then shock horror a few days later, the Moonswatch came out. I wonder if when the moon swatch came out, somebody at Norcane got, oh wait a minute, we've said this thing's got castor oil type thing, and they're saying that, and that's two hundred odd dollars, and this is five grand. Have we got a marketing problem? Honestly, I I'm not sure what to make of this, especially when you compare it to the likes of shock resistant watches like G-Shock, things like the Brement, things like the Breitling Endurance. I'm just not sure where this fits. Sylvain, David, commentary on this? Sylvain, do you want to give a disclaimer, first of all? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Thank
1: you for that. Uh, I, I should say from now on, I drop my Brightling cap and I speak only as a watch enthusiast, which is what led me to the to the amazing job I currently have. But I'm first and foremost a, a watch fan. Coming to this piece, uh, I'm very much in line with the idea of a modern sports watch. I agree with Ariel saying um, that composites may have a a great future. Now, coming back to to, to my line in the beginning of the discussion, saying that marketing can backfire. In this case, I'm I'm like you. I'm a bit confused in the sense uh, that if performance was the goal, why did they choose a mechanical movement to start with? That's why G-Shock is so efficient. Uh, if your primary goal is to hit performance, go shock resistance, there is no deny. quartz is, is what you have to go for. Then, you know, if the mechanical movement is then an excuse to come up with a fancy technical construction, which I still have yet to see in person, which leads to my question, Ariel, when you... Uh, when you manipulate this watch, if you pull the crown and push the crown, would that make the dial move within the case?
0: No, it, it's it's secure in there. I mean, it, it operates like a traditional watch. I mean, at the end of the day, the high-end market wants to buy mostly mechanical watches. There is a, there is room for other things here and there, but they mostly want mechanical watches and they like a story behind it. Um, so it, it, it for all intents and purposes, it functions like a normal Norcane watch. It's very lightweight. That's the thing. It's very comfortable to wear. You know, I think that they were inspired by things like the the Breitling Endurance Pro. Now, that is a quartz watch, but it's a little bit different of a beast. But this is an emerging segment of a very lightweight, using interesting, innovative materials, colorful sport watches. There's no one formula how to do it. But similar to the way that the steel watch is popular, this is not a new uh, category which is popular. And it really sort of started from, honestly, Richard Mille the kind of made wearing the kind of bright colored sports watch and you know non traditional materials a thing on on, on in the, in the popular market
1: to me an rm is very different to that to me an rm is the the epitome of uh, showing look i can spend 500 g's on a plastic watch and i still don't care which is probably like like the next level of the, the royal oak david mentioned in the 70s when you can pay more for steel than gold well now the next level is i can pay more for Carbon or composite uh, and steel or gold, even.
0: But for a lot of people, this five thousand dollars is kind of the same thing as spending five hundred thousand dollars. It it shows you, look how much I can afford to spend on a watch that I want to go bicycle riding with. It, it for a different demographic, I, I'll give you that. But it, it but the psychology is almost identical.
2: I am pleased though that you then in the article reference Formex because I did wonder whether this is a solution looking for a problem rather than a solution to a problem form a very very similar watch in the i would say the reef you know if you were to put Formex on this norcane or norcane on the form you'd probably go yeah that could be that could be from them and on the essence you have the suspension case it feels a bit like the old apocryphal story of you know, the NASA spending a fortune on a space pen when the Russians took a pencil <laughs> that they've spent all this all this money on this fancy case and what Formex did was they just put a spring between the watch face and the case so the, the whole thing just is is very simply sprung. I suspect you do need to see these in person. And I've always been a big fan of Norcain, big fan of Ben and Lots of things that the brand has done. I wonder whether this is just so discombobulating in that it's really at the leading edge, both in some tech, modern colours, a high price, JCB's influence, that actually it's just going to take a bit of a while for the, the marketing. And the need, if you want, if there's ever such a thing as a need for a luxury watch to percolate out once you see them. David,
3: your thoughts? I was just wondering whether there is a dem- demographic who wants to convey to its to its peers that, look how rich I am, I just spent five grand on a plastic watch. Uh, I I think that works at 500,000. 500, I'm not sure if that, that exists at 5K. That, that's the only thing I'm contemplating here. Um, and it's also the first for a brand. You know, they're just starting out. So... I don't think that this is as complete a product i think this is more of a proof of concept in terms of material and whether they can make these things or not uh than a a, a, a perfect product in uh, either either from a design perspective or whatever else i'm yet to see these hands-on you know that's a disclaimer from from me but yeah i think there's there's stuff to look forward to but this is not for me just yet to
2: take it to something that obviously sylvan knows a lot about the breitling endurance when that first came out it was like to me, it was like, nah, this this doesn't, I don't get this. But actually, now I've seen a few of them. The guys with us last night were all wearing them. I've worn a couple myself. And they're like, I get this. And I wonder if that's just the same with this. It's a much smaller brand. Maybe takes a bit longer to kind of get into the zone of what they're trying to do. I'm fairly sure GCB's involvement will uh, put rockets on the marketing and the hype train that surrounds it. And, you know, I'm quite confident that it is a very well-made product, that it does exactly what it says it's going to do. It's just, I mean, this goes back to earlier on about the Steel Sports, that actually these, here's a company doing just what we've been criticising everybody else for not doing which is being original Uh, and this is at least pushing the boundaries of some technical, some originality you know, at the end of the day it's a watch it has to have a strap, it has to have a face it has to tell the time, but actually they have not just produced a steel sports watch in blue, although they've got that in the collection somewhere, I'm quite sure. So it'll be interesting to see how the market receives this. Ariel, what vibe did you pick up in the room? I'm curious as to what extent this was a Norcane launch as opposed to a JCB being involved in Norcaine launch?
0: It was both. I think the interesting thing is there was definitely a return to theatrics. There was uh, a lot of theatrics actually in the presentation, there was a lot of fun in that, and that is definitely the Jean Claude Biver influence of making a splash, having a lot of pizzazz. Making it memorable for the people that go there, so you know it wasn't quite up to like LVMH budget, but it was it was pretty good. And for a brand that young, I think they did a good job. People were very genuinely excited about the watch, but I advised Norcain and I said to them several times, please have patience with the product and the community's uptake on this. the mm-hmm. The automatic reaction is going to be a little bit weird. People need to see and touch this thing to kind of get it. It's going to take a while. So I I anticipated the reaction that, that, that exists here in this conversation and some of the commentary. I knew that it was going to be a little bit of a lukewarm reaction because it was going to take a while. There's actually a lot to unpack in it. And when you learn more and more, you're like, oh, that is pretty cool. Also, the dial, people need to remember, is not really anything which is final. It's laser cut. They can make every single dial unique if they want. Or every single run of watches can have a completely different dial style or color or, or design to it so there's a lot of areas where they will have to figure out they will have to sample different designs and different combinations to see what's right they have a great platform which is what they came came out with and maybe the sexiest version of the wild one is yet to come but i was sold on it i think it's cool and i know that less exciting watches that are not as pretty that cost more money have done well
2: Well, you have seen it and you think it's cool, so I'm prepared to back that as the person that's actually seen the watch. So, yeah, if you want to go and read more about it, you can check out Ariel's article at ablogtowatch.com. Just because it's kind of the antithesis of what we've just spoken about, David, let's have a... Introduce your Omega Seamaster Planet Ocean six thousand meter ultra deep.
3: Yeah, that's another paradox right there. The Omega, Omega Seamaster Ultra Deep six thousand meter diver. That is just uh, it's it's funny because when I went hands on with it, I was like, oh, this is great. I can't even tell that this is a six thousand meter diver because it's not that large. It's it's very variable, and I was asking myself, is this actually a good thing uh, or, or not 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 such a good thing because you know like what's the point of a 6000 meter diver if you if you if you can't even tell that it is one right it's it's basically a pointless thing and it should be over engineered and it should feel like that Instead, it's a bit of a burger, it's, it's thick, it doesn't reach over the edge of my, of my wrist, which is great, so that means it's wearable. It's beautifully made, but I just don't see the point of it. And it's very, very difficult to understand, or even to, well, understand it's, it's easy, but to appreciate that, the fact that, oh, this is a six kilometer, like a four mile diver. It's not, it doesn't really give that much in the, in the, in the varying experience, because again, it's, it's so successful at disguising that fact. And that's a pro and a con at the same time.
2: So is this the ultimate case of just because you can doesn't mean you should?
3: Yeah, yeah. Or if you do, like Ariel said, explain why this is. Like, what's the point of this whole exercise? Like, no one is alive anywhere near that. And we've we've said this so many freaking times. But, you know, we don't say this about the plot prof. It's it's a twelfth. 100-meter uh, diver, but it feels like it. It looks like it. It looks crazy. Yeah. It looks like a proper dive ex- dive watch that, that is that is crazy and bonkers and, and very entertaining. And this is just a blown-up Seamaster, at least as far as I can tell.
1: Yeah, to, to me, I joined David to to, to that mindset. I, I'm the first one, like every one of us here, who love technical superlatives, but they obviously come at a price. Here, the price is obviously ergonomics. The, the, the watch is... To my personal standards, huge, and it doesn't turn me on as a as a watch fan simply because I see it as uh, walking around carrying a lot of dead weight, uh, and yeah. by that I mean we should all remember over thirty bars or three hundred meters, uh, the water pressure goes actually through the skin. This is a, this is an interesting number to have in mind all the time. Thirty bars, any fluid will go. Directly in your body, and this is why the world record of uh, diving with scuba no, sorry, not scuba diving, but with oxygen is around 335 meters deep because you can't go deeper, otherwise, the, the water would simply compress uh, your, your organs. So, wow. 6,000 I can only let you imagine uh, how you, you would look like, <laughs> yeah, like a jam. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, n- nonetheless, I admire the technique prowess. of course. Uh, a lot of uh, research and development uh, went into that product. As a watch enthusiast myself, it just doesn't turn me on simply because, I, yeah, as I said, I see a lot of dead weight on my wrist that is not necessary.
2: And, and as a watch designer yourself, you, you obviously design watches for commercial release. Breitling, big, very successful company. Are there designs that you just kind of wish you could do, not not so much wish you could do at Breitling, but like, you know, something so completely over-engineered or whimsical that you're going, yeah, I wish we could do this at at Breitling, or I wish I could convince them that, yeah, what we really need is a 6,000 meter diver, just because that sounds like a fun thing, like, just as as a design concept, as an engineering challenge.
1: Oh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm very well placed uh, in the industry to make fun of the others when it comes to technical <laughs> superlatives because we have the 50 millimeter uh, uh, brightling emergency, uh, <laughs> which is probably one of the most uh, technical superlatives in the watch industry, uh, both in terms of technique, ergonomics. It has this COSPA Sarsat certification, which is uh, like a governmental standard uh, of emergency. So we are very much guilty of it. It doesn't turn me on as a as a customer, as a private person, but then as a designer, I find these projects very interesting to work on because uh, they come with a very strong and demanding set of requirements, and and that makes it interesting to work on.
0: Okay, so again, I I, I like to sort of be the voice of the marketing side as well because I want to explain how these projects get through mm. because. For, from a, <laughs> from a collector standpoint, I agree. I'm not that excited about this. I'm also not that excited about Rolex's Deep Sea, even though it, it, it's a cool watch. Um, I think what Omega is guilty of here is sort of touting themselves as an enthusiast watch brand when that's just a sliver of what they do. There is an enthusiast side to Omega, no doubt. But Omega also is a is a mass market company that is part of their business model and selling to regular people that don't know anything about watches is, is, is a major uh, part of their revenue. Uh, so on a very basic level, they just sort of follow Rolex that's sort of in their playbook. If Rolex does something that automatically means it's not only okay, but should be worth following Rolex has a very deep diving watch and the deep sea sells well because it's large size. Some people like the story behind it and they never really fathom, going that deep or whatever what that even means it doesn't mean that much to them they're just like cool big big watch so Omega's like it'll sell and Rolex did it that's like a double yes (laughs) and that's true and it makes for a good story but you know from a practical perspective yes there's nothing that as tool lovers, we see and be like, boy, I need that. Because the drawbacks of the size and the relatively blasé looks where it just looks like a, you know, an amplified size of the standard, you know, Seamaster Planet Ocean doesn't really do it for us because we're like, that's not new and I don't see myself wearing that outside of novelty purposes you know i have some some very thick dive watches and i love them but i don't really wear them on a regular basis and you have a version of the the ultra deep here on a bracelet that looks like you know some guy is going to wear with a suit it's going to be a large guy but you know what those guys exist, and it's really good that there's a watch for them. So, I do have no fault with anything anyone said in this, and I agree that, again, when I saw this, I was like, glad it exists. Do I want one? Not really. So, I, I, I feel that same way, but I also acknowledge that there is a marketability to this. And remember, these brands love exploring the designs they already have. The Seamaster and the Seamaster Planet Ocean are validated, okay designs. And when they try to come up with something new, for them, this is way more exciting than a new dial color. And and, and let's be frank, it is. So it's like they couldn't design something new, but they could design a new version of something old and this sort of passed.
2: Yeah, so the inherent, not laziness, but the inherent safety, of kind of hiding in amongst stuff you've already done and stuff that you know from your competitors is going to work it's just what's demonstrated but, but, but
0: omega didn't need this they've yeah. had really good dive watches already they can go as deep as any human being whatever or needs to go and so yes if you're looking at it from omega as a brand for watch enthusiasts this makes no freaking sense but that's not really the entirety of what omega is even if they're not you know clearly open on that fact all the time Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm. cool well check out david's article go to a blog to watch.com We are coming to the close of play. We have managed, I think, to cover even less watches than we did last week, but (laughs) uh, hopefully you enjoyed the extended conversation uh, on David's initial article about Steel Sports Watches. Sylvain, thank you very much for joining us. We will have you back again shortly. Your insights were most valuable uh, and anyone that can give Ariel a run for his money is also uh, decent in my book. So, what have you got coming up this week, Sylvain, and where can people find you on the internet?
1: So, first of all, thank you again for having me on the show always a pleasure to discuss with you guys this week, extremely busy. I have to, to free some tooling for a watch that will uh, actually launch in 2026. So, this <laughs> is a very uh, academic wow. week, so to speak, where we have to double check all the plans, all the toolings. We have to get together and have a final sign off with uh, probably 10 people on the paper to all of us agree that we want to produce this watch and we are serious about it. This is what it takes for every product that we launch. And that will be most of my week. Then I have end of the week uh, some advanced design projects to carry on and otherwise uh, people can find me on instagram at holographic hammer what do you call it? The bottom. Bottom line. Uh. So holographic, underscore.
2: Bo- holographic underscore hammer. Ask David about it. He knows all about <laughs> <Yeah>. the underscore. <laughs> yeah. you, you and David brothers <laughs> in the underscore. We are the yes. new generation. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Talking of totally superfluous things that are not needed, your pay is underscores. Anyway, Ariel, what have you got coming up this week?
0: Well, that's a very good question. As I was supposed to be in Miami, I'm probably going to catch up on a lot of watch reviews. Prepare for a few other trips coming up. And then I have two talks to give at the Centurion Jewelry Show. I'm not even sure if that's made available for the public, but it is going to be September 28th and 29th. I think it's a cent- Centurion South Beach is the website or something like that, where if you're lucky, you can hear me speak again. There's going to be there's 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 a surprising number of watches being released between now and the end of the year, even through mid December. So we have a lot on our plate coming up.
2: Cool. And David, where are you on the internet? Tell us all about your underscore and what you're up to this week.
3: Yeah, I'm abtw underscore David, (laughs) as it as it were. Eh, Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just uh, uh, working on a cool new article about the Daytona. Of course, just just because I, I had the chance to go hands on with one for some time. And I have some thoughts to share on that, so that's that's on my radar for today.
2: Has anybody actually checked if the Instagram account without the underscore is available? Because I'm for registering it and having like a a fan a fan account for David without the <laughs> underscore. So somebody <laughs> or a you. troll account. That's great. <laughs> I will <can> report it. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> Good stuff. Well, thank you all for listening. You can contact the show with your thoughts and comments at podcasts. At a blog to a blog to watch. Ablog-to-watch. Com, a blog to watch. I'll do that all again. You can find us and send us your comments and thoughts for the show at podcast at a blog to and you can find me at Rick Tech Talk on Instagram. Thank you all very much for joining us. See goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, guys. Bye, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Goodbye. Talk to
0: you soon. Bye.